0: Good to see you all here. We're going to spend a little bit of time here in uh, the Word of God together here. Um, Why don't we, again, just uh, as we begin here, why don't we just quiet our hearts before the Lord? Father, we do thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that we have time that we can spend here, even for a few minutes, looking again into your Word. And I pray that today you'll take what's of yourself and burn it deeply into our hearts Help us to know what you want in us. Help us to know how you empower us. Help us to know you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, if you've seen the title of uh, things here, uh, you know that uh, the, the theme is about strength. I want to talk about that a little bit, just strength there just for a minute. There are several kinds of strength. Uh, first of all, there, there's just the physical strength. I just watched a TV program called um, the, the Titan Games. I don't know if you saw that. It was Dwayne Johnson, I think, who hosts it. And uh, these are people incredibly strong and doing all these games. I mean, these people, they, they had muscles on places I don't even have places. Uh, it, was, uh, it was amazing that. And, and so there is that sort of physical strength. There, there is just a natural physical strength. My dad was really pretty strong. Uh, he's about my size, maybe a little bit shorter. Uh, but I've seen him pick up a 300, 350-pound calf, just pick it up and uh, put it down on its side in a real small space. I mean, he he was just strong. Pastor Ralph. Pastor Ralph has always been strong. And, you know, going to, uh, to, to Maine with the kids and years gone by and all the camps and everything. I mean, Ralph was just, he's just strong. And then there are people who are strong just... Uh, not just maybe naturally, but because they work out a lot. Like these people of the Titan Games, you know, and they just work out and they, they get that strength. There are times in the Bible you even see there's a supernatural strength that is given physically. Somebody like Samson. So, so, so when we talk about strength, there is a physical strength, but that's not what we're going to talk about. There is also a strength that is a strength of character. You know, how, uh, how people respond to other people how they live in integrity. And and it's a great quality. It is something that is really necessary in one's life, I believe. And there are those who just really exude a certain amount uh, of great strength in their character. But that's not the one we're going to talk about either. The one that we're going to look at is there is a spiritual strength as well. A spiritual strength that really focuses on, on who God is, who God is in our life what God is uh, working in our own hearts and lives uh, to, to, really, to really show us what life is really like with him. And then to live in that, not in our own strength, but in, in his strength. And that's what we want to look at. You know, as you look through the Bible, you see that it talks about strength and power, uh, the strength and power of God all the way from the beginning. I mean, when you think about creation and I, I don't know how all God did it. None of us do. But suddenly this creation, the power that he does that, the strength that he shows in pulling that together. I mean, You see the power of God in all that he does. And then as you read through the scriptures, you see some of the things that God did in terms of miracles. I mean, they're, they're, they're incredible, right? When you think about it. Like when you think about Moses standing before the Red Sea and suddenly the sea just opening up. What an incredible amount of power. when uh, Elijah's on Mount Carmel and and they're in that great spiritual battle and God just rains down fire right on that sacrifice of Elijah. Incredible things. You go to the New Testament and there Jesus, as the Son of God, as God himself, doing incredible miracles, showing great strength and might in all that he does. All the way through, you see that sort of strength that comes from God. And you also see strength of people as they respond to hard situations, the strength that they have especially because of who God is. I mentioned Elijah, it would be one, for instance, uh, Here he was, in a, he was in a position there in Israel where as, as a prophet of God, he thought that he was the only one left. And, and he stood before that whole crowd of prophets of Baal who were very wicked in so many ways. And, and he stood strong, one against 400. And God gave him that strength. There, there was Isaiah. Isaiah was one as a prophet of God, as, as he led and helped people understand something about the character of God. Some of Israel, uh, of Judah there especially, uh, the kings had not followed God at all. And they were leading Israel down a path of, of sin and, and ignorance of who God is and, and Isaiah's job and what he did by the power of God he was able to pull people together and help them understand who God is and what God wanted to do. And he stood strong because of who God is and, and declared God's word. One of the kings that was part of that was Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was one who did love the Lord. And so Isaiah uh, pulled him along and, and taught him. And Hezekiah was in a place where suddenly the, the Assyrian army came down. At That time was the strongest nation in the world. Israel, uh, Judah, Israel was not very big. And uh, Hezekiah stood strong. You see the character of God as at work there. And you see the, uh, the strength that Hezekiah shows because he was willing to trust God. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah is one that comes to my mind because that's where we're looking. Nehemiah was one, you remember, as, as he was, his job was a cupbearer for the king. There in Persia, that's what he did. And God constrained in his heart so much of what was going on in Jerusalem. He'd heard that the walls of Jerusalem were down, the city of God. There was, it wasn't going on, it wasn't good. And God uh, directed him, and he was able to go, with the blessing of the king, to go and, and rebuild Jerusalem. When he got there, uh, not everybody was happy to see him. There was a lot of opposition. But he pulled together by the power of God, the strength of God, him moving ahead, believing who God is. And in 52 days, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And if you remember the story, as is told in Nehemiah, uh, there was so much opposition, they were afraid some evil people were going to attack them. And it says in in one way that they had a trowel in one hand as they put on the the cement or whatever to hold the stones together and a sword in the other hand. But, But they pulled it together and the walls were built. And in that, After they were built and after the doors were in place, we get to where we are here in Nehemiah 8. Because then they come to the place, the walls are built, but the people's heart are still kind of torn down. And between Nehemiah and Ezra, the priest, uh, they, they wanted to rebuild the hearts of the people. And so we get to chapter 8. And this is what they did then in order to help the people understand. So I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 8. Uh, you can follow along. I think it's on the screen here. I did not look up to see what passage, what page it is in your Bible. Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. It says this, by the, by the Spirit of God. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded uh, for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, that's their new year, by the way. This is the Feast of Trumpets. Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on the right stood, now there's a bunch of names here, and I'm going to read them, I'm going to try, stood, uh, Mataliah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maashiah, and on his left were Pedadiah, Mishael, uh, Malkijah, Malkijah, yeah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah and Meshalem. I just wanted to say those, you know. Uh, so uh, Ezra opened up the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then there were some other people, Levites, some more names here, Joshua, Bani, uh, Sherebiah, Jamin, uh, Acab. Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masaiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jezabed, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, to all the people here, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve. And in the passage, the little phrase we want to look at, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's a great passage. You look there, you have to understand here what was happening here. Now, you know, Ezra stood up here. This is the New Year. This is the Feast of the Trumpets. People there. And it's interesting. It says there that not only just the men, but the women and the children all who could understand. That's pretty unusual. They had even uh, kids there. And they were all listening to the Word of God. Ezra was up on this platform, and, and he's reading before people. And you got the picture here, but then there are Levites. It's kind of like small groups, you know. The Levites are here, and they're scattered among, and they're reading the same law, and they're explaining what is being read. The reason that's important is because these people had not not been looking at the law of God very much for, for quite a long period of time. And as they heard it, they were convicted in their hearts so much of who they were before God and who God is, they just broke down and were weeping. Because they saw who they were. And that's where Nehemiah and Ezra, they stood up and they said, look, this is a day sacred to the Lord. Don't don't take this time to mourn. This is a day, this is a time of rejoicing. Go out and have a party. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want to look at that little phrase especially, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And some principles from it that I think that might impact us as we think through what's going on our whole next year here of how we want to look at things possibly. Understanding who we are. We're not standing in our own might. We're not standing in our own strength. How do we stand? What do we do? And here, it's the joy of the Lord is our strength. And the first principle, it starts at the beginning where what happens here, I put it this way, God's word at work. Understand, as you look at this whole passage, it all starts, all the things are there because people started reading the word of God. I was driving up here today and uh, I was just rethinking and going through some things and I suddenly thought to myself, you know, this may be, this may be the whole crux of the whole passage here. The people read the word of God. Now, there's more to that, but it absolutely is important. Don't forget That God's word is at work, and that means as we read God's word, it does a couple things. First of all, as we read God's word and what it did here, it reveals the heart. It reveals what your heart, it reveals what my heart is. I mean, as they read here, they read, and we don't know where they were reading. It says the book of the law. I'm not sure they read all right from the beginning of Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. I don't know if they had that much time. They may have you read some of the things and afterwards how they responded to things. It's pretty obvious they read at least parts of Leviticus, parts of Deuteronomy, maybe some of Exodus. There may have been more. But what it was is they they were hearing what God was doing in their heart and and, for them as a nation and what their hearts were like. And that's where they broke down, first of all, because they saw their heart for what it was. Their heart was sinful. Their heart was rebellious. Their heart was full of selfishness. The same as you and me. But as you read the word of God and reveals what our heart is, reveals who we are before God, also understand that God reveals that we have great worth in his sight. I mean, we're the ones who are created in his image. We are not worthless. You are not worthless people at any level, at any regard And and God shows that. And as you read through the Word, you see the glory of what God has given you because you are in His image. The the Scriptures reveal the heart. And then as you continue to read, you see that that it also reveals God's truth. That's what the Scriptures do. It tells, tells who God is. It tells what God has done for us. It tells us what He is like. I Means you, you begin reading through, you can't get away from the fact that God is absolutely full of love. You can't miss that as you read through the scriptures. You go through the scriptures, you come to the place and you realize God is absolutely holy. I think the Israelites got there. They understood the holiness of God. You get to the place where God is full of justice. We just said, yeah, God is good. There are so many things that the Bible reveals about who God is. God's truth, that this is what is true, this is what matters, this is what we live by. Not because of what we think, but because of what God has said. And that's what God's word does. So, so that's the beginning of everything here. Reading God's word becomes absolutely phenomenal in our lives. God uses his word by his spirit, absolutely, to change you and me. I would I would say this, that, that if you... Are, are not in a habit of reading the scripture, I, I would encourage you so much, take time to start reading start reading his word. Find out what you're like. Find out God's truth. Pastor Mark has a thing online. Take a look at that. Some helps for some things. If, if you don't know where to go, where to begin, go look at that. There are a lot of good things on there that he talks about. Just time to read his word because that leads then to the rest of this, the principles from the joy of the Lord is your strength. That begins because of the word of God. The second part, God's word at work, secondly, then responding to God's word. And in this place, it's because the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's an interesting passage in the way that it's worded there, the joy of the Lord. And it, it, uh, there are kind of two groups of people. That, what is he talking about? The joy of the Lord. One group of people say, well, this is the joy that God has. And there's some good evidence to that, that that is maybe a way you would read it. Because of the joy that God has, you have strength. And the other way is how we normally read, because of the joy of the Lord, of what we have in him, we have strength. I'm taking the coward's way out. I think it's very possible that it's both. I think you can look at it both ways there, and it makes a lot of sense in both ways. First of all, just the joy of God, that it is God's joy, who he is. We respond to him understanding who he is, the joy of God, one of his, his great character qualities. God, God has everything in and of himself. Understand that. So the heart is completely satisfied within himself. There is nothing else that God needs for happiness or joy. He, he doesn't need it. He is absolutely and completely uh, satisfied with himself. Joy is fundamental to his nature, His heart is that of joy. That's who he is. It was uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas, I believe, who said this, that God's happiness by his essence. God is happiness by his essence. For he is happy not by acquisition or participation of something else, but by his essence. On the other hand, men are happy by participation. Very simply means this, that, that we become happy, we have a certain amount of joy because we, we gain things to ourselves. We're happy because of the Christmas present we got. We're happy because of the good meal we have. We're happy because of the job we have. We're happy because of the people we associate with. I mean, it goes on and on, and, and we are fulfilled so many times by what we gain to ourselves. I'm not saying that's bad, that's just what happens. God is not that way. God does not need anything else in order to be full of joy, full of happiness. He is absolutely that in and of himself. It is fundamental to his nature. There are a lot of people, and I've heard uh, down through the years, so many people talk about, you know, you look at, there's a God of the Old Testament that is so angry. And, And I would suggest that maybe they're not reading the whole picture. Are there times that God judges sin? Absolutely. He's a holy God and he has to do that. Is God angry with sin? I I think maybe you could make a case for that. But I would say also, if you take time to read, as you read through even the Old Testament things, I think you would also see that God is absolutely full of joy. He loves his people. He is filled with joy and understanding who they are and what they're doing. He works on their behalf, and he is is joyful in his nature towards them. And and I think as you read through even the Old Testament, you would see that a lot. That's who he is, the joy of God, a heart that is completely satisfied within himself. The second part of that joy, the joy of God, is that he delights in you. I mean, he looks at you and he says, I am filled with joy because of who you are. I delight in you. You are his creation. You have been created in his image. He is a work in your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, he has worked great things in your life. His willingness to give his life for us really shows how much he thinks we are worth him. And he has great joy in that. Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah is not a book that we look at. It's one of the minor prophets. And in Zephaniah, though, as he writes there, he talks about what God is doing and uh, what he wants to do in bringing his people back to himself. In Zephaniah 3.17 He says it this way. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The truth is, part of the joy of God is that he delights in you, who you are. That's an incredible memory. That's an incredible thought. And the last part of the joy of God is that he embraces and lives in that joy. he he lives absolutely putting that joy to practice. The glory of God is shown. There's a verse in 1 Timothy that talks about the uh, glory of God and his blessedness, the the happiness, the joy that comes together with the joy of God. He has redeemed mankind. He has given himself for us. And and the writer of Hebrews says it so well in Hebrews uh, 12 Uh, 2. He says it this way, if I can find it. Hebrews 12, 2, he goes this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The truth is that God's joy is shown in the person of Jesus as well. He embraces that joy. He has given that joy to us and for us. So as we respond to God's word, first of all, the joy of the Lord of his strength, just thinking God's joy is one thing that lifts us up and brings us, because we understand who he is, it brings us to a certain amount of strength because we realize who he is. I think that is, is true. I think that's part of the passage. The, the other way of looking at it, I think, is also true, that we are living in his joy because of who he is. We are delighting in him, who he is to me, uh, all that he is to me, what he has done for me. I mean, all that's there, he has, uh, we, we begin to respond to him because we see who he is. And the joy of the Lord is all that's wrapped up in us understanding something of his character and his nature. Augustine put it this way, we participate in joy when we reach the essence of all joy. That is God himself. I think in scriptures, it's shown maybe one of the best places for me, at least, is in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, if you remember the passage there, it's where Jesus is with his disciples. It's after uh, the Last Supper, as we know it, he's talking to them, and he's talking to them about abiding in him, about remaining in him, and all the goodness of that. And as he goes through that, in what we call verse 11, he says this to his disciples, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He's saying, look, I I want my joy in you and that joy is going to be there as you remain in me, as you abide in me, as you follow after me, that that joy is going to be there. That joy of who he is and, and what he wants to do in us. We look at him, and even as Jesus talks to his disciples there in John 15, he's talking about his heart before them and what he has done for them, what he continues to do for them. In that living with joy, we understand his character. First of all, who, who he is, what he's like, and, and what he's done for me. We understand that. And the part of the joy of the Lord, we just understand what Jesus has done for us, his character. And all that he is to us. With that, his forgiveness. The forgiveness is absolutely there that is not a a partial forgiveness. It is an absolute, complete forgiveness that he gives to us totally and freely by grace. As we trust him as our savior, he absolutely forgives us. Remember, there's a Psalm that says he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. That is a complete forgiveness. And he restores us, his restoration of us. This, this is what Pastor Don was talking about last week, I think, as he uh, talked there in Psalm 126, remember? About the joy of redemption, rescue, and restoration. The Psalm 126 there. The word joy is used there quite a number of times. I think it's five or six times there. The whole heart of joy. Living with his joy. Who he is. First of all, the joy of God, because that's his character, and then living with that, understanding what he has done for us and in us, gives us his joy because of who he is. Here in in Nehemiah, what has happened here, the Israelites had heard as they read about God's commands to them as they're reading the scriptures, they, they recognized their own failures. They recognized their own hearts, and they were deeply, deeply sorrowful. I think as you read on, they were repentant. You would see that. But they also realized and knew about his forgiveness and restoration because God also talked about that. And as you continue on through even the rest of chapter 8 and going on to chapter 9, you see how they respond to God in, in uh, repentance to him. They respond to God in doing another uh, a celebration! It was a Feast of Tabernacles, which they had not done for a long time. They heard, and they said, God, yes, that's right. We want to go after you. And, and so they, they begin to focus on who he is, uh, living with that heart before him. They were taking time to know who God is. As they hear him, they listen to him. They respond to his mercy because it, it is great. They respond to his grace because it is overflowing. And they were beginning to understand when Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord. They were understanding a little bit, at least, of what that meant. Same thing is true for us. As we take time to know God, know him through his word and by his spirit, the joy of the Lord grows. We begin to understand more and more who he is. We begin to understand more and more what he has done for us. And and that just builds that joy because of who God is. And that leads to the last part then. That joy, then, his joy is our strength. That's the strength part. He says the joy of the Lord is our strength, how we live as followers of Jesus. I, I put it this way I put it living a life of love and devotion. I mean, in a way, this is the, the good part. I hate to say it this way, but this is almost the easy part. This is because I love him, because I understand the joy of the Lord. I, I am able to do all sorts of things in terms of life and ministry and love and reaching out to people. I, I am empowered. I'm strengthened to do that because I understand the joy of the Lord. He's, he's worked that in my heart. I mean, this is really a positive side uh, to, to the whole thing because there are good things going on in our life. There are good things that God brings, and we can serve. We can serve here with love and devotion. I think that comes out of a heart of of dedication. I think we see what the joy is. So the dedication is saying, God, my my life is yours. My heart and my life is yours. I give it to you because I understand now who you are. It is a heart of commitment that in every choice of life, God comes first I'm living for God at every level. That's that heart of commitment. And and I think as we do that, then that builds then, the third thing is a heart of ministry, of reaching out to others, of, of serving God in the way of saying, I, I want to show you to the world around me. I want to declare who he is. I'm I'm living a life of love and devotion because, God, you're my strength. You're the one who gives me the strength. Why do people, how are people able to, serve the lord so faithfully for so many years you know and teaching in sunday school and serving in missions around the world and helping people who need help and helping in the the, the uh, uh the food part of our ministry in the pantry how are people able to do that how they're strengthened i would say it, it, they're exhibiting the love and the devotion they have to god because the joy of the lord I, was, uh, I get a little magazine from Voice of the Martyrs. Just got it this week. And in it, this one is about several people who uh, were in Islam. Uh, some of them were imams and, and uh, served in ways like that. And they came to Christ. And I'm not going to read the whole article. There's one though, those guys' name was Andrews from Tanzania. Uh, it says here that he'd been raised in a Christian village. Um, and, but it was not really grounded in his faith. And it came to the point he got uh, really in a group with radical Islam, uh, and, uh, and he tried to hide it from his parents for a while. They found out. They tried to correct him, and finally came to the place where the sheik, the imam there, said, uh, totally cold uh, uh, Andrew, that he should kill his parents. And, and so Andrew went to do that. And he got there the first time, and he just found he couldn't do it. And he went back, and he told uh, uh, the people there, and especially this he calls him the sheik here. Uh, and uh, he says, no, you got to go do it. And he went again, determined to kill. But in that, he says this. Uh, he says, as I was walking there, I couldn't understand. What's all this group? Why is all this killing? Uh, why all this? Because he was starting to remember the background and some of the words of the scriptures he talks about there that he'd grown up with. And it says, Andrew said he was filled with grace, especially towards his parents. I really felt sorry for what I'd done and wanted to come back to faith in Jesus Christ. And at that point, I repented. Well, that's a great story all by itself. But in that part of the world, that's not always a great story. They were after him now. Uh, they had a price on his head. He was hidden. And eventually, a Voice of the Martyrs uh, stepped in. There's a training center. And he said this, uh, staying at the training center was a time of tremendous spiritual growth for Andrew. The training is especially looking at the scriptures and uh, knowing how to apply that and putting that to work. And he says, looking back, it was such a move of the Holy Spirit to take me from the point of being ready to kill my parents to realizing I was wrong and then repenting. And then a little bit later, he now says this about him. He now has a deep sense of calling to reach young men who are being enticed by Islam, as he once was. And ends with this. He His words are, we are wasting our time if we don't learn how to preach the gospel. (laughs) That's a story of living a life of love and devotion, understanding, and he doesn't use the words joy of God here, but that's exactly what happened. And as he came to faith in Christ, how God changed him and, and became his strength in order to love and serve the way that he is. It's a tremendous story. But we all know, and you know that, There are also hard things in life, aren't there? I mean, you may be facing that today. You may be sitting here and saying, Jim, that that might be good for you, but you don't know what's going on. And I don't. But God does, and I would suggest that the other part of having strength is standing strong in hard times, able to stand in strength because of the joy of the Lord when things are really, really difficult. Because God has not forgotten. God has not put you off to one side. God absolutely is still your joy. And as a follower of Jesus, I would say this, that you stand strong in hard times. That doesn't necessarily make it go away. That doesn't necessarily make it easier. What it does say is because of who God is and what God has done, three things, very simply. I'm able to stand firm. I'm trusting God. I I see his joy, and so I am standing firm in that. Even though I don't understand what's going on, I'm I'm standing firm in God, that God is absolutely trustworthy, that he is completely faithful. And to remember that and to know that, I'm I'm living there. It's not easy. But it is a way to look at things and to be strengthened because God is absolutely true second along with that standing strong is not only standing firm that is in trusting God knowing who he is not not living in despair there are times of discouragement I get that I understand that there are times of wonder wow what in the world is God I don't get this but not living in despair not giving in because I know ultimately we sang it Mike talked about it God is good that's not always easy to see I agree but the scriptures declare that he is. And if we looked at life all the way through, we would see that God is working our very best for us. And so even when things are hard, and they are hard, that I don't give in to despair I'd say, okay, God, I don't get it, but I do have a joy in you because I know who you are. Standing strong in hard times. And the third thing is part of that is just keeping an eternal perspective. Truth is, there's a whole lot more. The writer of Ecclesiastes reminded us that he's put eternity in our hearts. We we understand that what we are facing and what we see right here is just a momentary thing. Eternity is forever. And I believe sometimes one of the things that God gives us as we stand in hard times is just to remember that eternity continues. There's a whole lot more to existence than just right now. And again, I'm not saying that makes it easier. What it does is it helps give perspective to what is going on. Does that make sense to you? I hope it does. And, and I mean it to be encouraging because part of the strength there is standing strong in hard times. Uh, many of us know Harold Ebersole. And I've asked Harold if I can share a little bit of this uh, with him, you know his story. A uh, missionary in Bangladesh, uh, they were home this summer and he was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, has had a, a fairly rough time with it. And he just wrote, right, uh, I guess it was just last week, he wrote uh, something on what's gone on. He went to get his, uh, the next round of chemo. And they said, you know, we're not going to do it because it's not doing the job. Uh, and so what, he said, what we're going to do, they're going to do another biopsy on his lymph nodes. Uh, they're they're going to go through all that. That's all very painful. It, it was just kind of a real blow. And then on top of that, uh, beginning of the year, uh, they had to change insurances. And so now they have to go through all that again. I mean, it's a lot. And Harold wrote this. We are disappointed to be starting over again and needing to face another biopsy. The last one was quite painful and healed very slowly. But we are so glad to be in God's hands. This, too, is a good gift for us. The doctors may be confused by the de- disease, but God is not. And he quotes in Zechariah 4.6. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by, my, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This mountain shall be moved. Centuries later, he writes, Jesus reminded his disciples that through prayer, any mountain could be moved into the depths of the sea. Matthew 21.20. Pray with us for God to glorify his name by removing this mountain of lymphoma. And then he quotes Philippians 1.20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be put to shame, but that God will be glorified through my body or through my death. That is the strength from the joy of the Lord. Standing hard and hard, hard, standing strong in hard times. Not because he is some special person, although he is. He's a good friend. And I pray for him, and I pray that you will. But the point is this, is the joy of the Lord is his strength and why he is standing, even in these hard, hard times. The joy of the Lord is our strength in good times and in hard times. You know what, we started talking about strong people. They're strong for a number of reasons. Sometimes because they work out. Sometimes because they just have the right genes. You know, they're just that way normally. Spiritually, in life, they're strong because they found their joy in God himself. Who he is. Who he is in their life. Who he is in your life. Because because of that, they face life with strength, with devotion, with dedication, with love. And they find that they want to serve him faithfully. When hard times happen, they know who he is. And that he is still with them. He's still for them. So they can face things in his strength. I mean, that's the principle of the passage. I get a, a, a part, I'm, I'm, I, I have subscribed to a thing called Sports Spectrum uh, it's, it's a sports magazine and also a blog from a very strongly Christian perspective. And just this week, there was a new one. I want to quick two examples here one that's positive, one that's a good part of life, one that's not so easy. Well, one is uh, from Drew Brees. Now, I don't know whether you like Drew Brees or not. I don't know if you care about New Orleans Saints, but Drew Brees is a strong follower of Jesus. He said this he remembered on his 17th birthday he uh, invited Christ to be his Savior. He invited him into his heart and life and accepted him as Savior and Lord. And he knew, he says, that his heart was changed that day and that the fear he had of the unknown was gone. He goes on to say, from that moment on, with Jesus in my life, I knew that the fear of the unknown was there, but um, with Jesus in my heart and life, I'm not afraid of the unknown. I'm not afraid to go to Purdue. That's where he went to college. I'm not afraid of dropping in the second round and being drafted by the San Diego Chargers. That happened and it was a surprise. He says, I know that God ha- has that plan and I'm going to trust him. I'll be led by faith and not by sight. Some, and becoming intentional about his faith is something Drew says he has become, more, has become more prominent as he's grown and become more wise as to who he is. Goes on to say in the, in the saints locker room now, there's a lot of strong believers, strong Christian men. A great pastor has been our teen chaplain. He says, I feel like that's really empowered me and a lot of other guys to become more outspoken and has put, it in a, has put me in a position to go out and proclaim God's word. The joy of the Lord being his strength. Understanding what God is doing and at work and understanding that to its fullness. And then there was another one, uh, uh, another one on the same page from a guy named Trent Tyler. You may have seen Trent uh, if you watch football at all, if it was uh, the Purdue uh, game versus Ohio State. Uh, Trent uh, is a, was a student there. He was, has a rare form of bone cancer, had many surgeries. Uh, he was a diehard Purdue uh, fan. And he was there, and ESPN highlighted him and everything there. Uh, At that point, he was really pretty frail. And uh, Sports Spectrum said, we spoke to Trent about his faith and how it helped fuel him during his uh, battle with cancer. And these are the words of Trent. It's my everything. It's the cornerstone, he said. Every morning, I make sure to get in the word. My faith is what keeps me going, honestly. I don't think I would be able to smile or have that happy face that people have seen on TV without my faith. Whether I wake up tomorrow or not, I know where I'm going to end up. And having that comfort and that peace is huge. I really don't know how anyone is able to fight a terminal illness without faith, honestly. And as they wrote there, Trent went home to be with the Lord on New Year's Day. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I mean, that's the passage. Very simply, as we look at it here, and and I I want to challenge us here, just as we close things up here, I want to challenge us in our heart. As we look at this passage, we look at this little phrase, maybe God is calling you, maybe God is calling me, to remember who he is. I mean, really to take time to know who he is. And how are you going to do that? Well, I would say by taking time to read his word. Uh, find a way to do that on a regular basis. Maybe you need to get somebody to help hold you accountable. Maybe a couple of you need to say, let's read and let's just share a little bit. Uh, go online with the things that Mark has and find out what's there. Uh, find out and remember who God is because the joy of the Lord being our strength, it starts, I believe, in the scriptures and by his spirit. And since he reminds you, take that next step of believing that you can live a life of strength not because of who you are, but because of who God is and what he has done for you. And that you can move forward in life doing that which is good and right and honoring to the Lord, whether life is easy or whether life is hard. You can go either way. It might be a good day for all of us to once again dedicate yourself to resting in his joy and in his strength as we go into this new year. Maybe this is the day to rest in Him and find your strength in Him when things are really, really hard because you know and you remember His joy is in you. Maybe today you and I should celebrate because of the great things God has done for us in giving us His joy. To respond as... Nehemiah wanted the Israelites to respond, to remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's pray together here just for a moment. Father, we come before you at this time. Uh, we, We read the words, we hear the words. God, would you burn them into our hearts to help us to remember the joy of the Lord is our strength to remember who you are, to take time to know who you are. God, our lives get so busy here in this part of the world. Help us to be willing to take time to know you. Help us to take time to know who you have declared us to be. Help us to take time then, as we understand that, to build that joy before you and then live in your strength. As Harold reminded us from Zechariah, it's not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. By your spirit, God. God, make this a year for us to live this out, having the joy of the Lord as our strength. In Christ's name, amen. Now go and serve the Lord in the joy and the strength of the Lord this whole year.